Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes, the uh, the blue blur that's got everybody talking. We're also going to take a look at Parasite in its black and white official director's cut Bong Joon-ho version that's been coming to theaters post-Oscars win. Uh, we're going to talk about some trailers that are coming out, some interesting things we've seen on the horizon that we want to talk about here on the show. Before we get to all that, we need to talk about the news. Our very first story, Alamo Drafthouse brings season pass subscription to all locations. Going to be honest, didn't read about this. Uh, Andy's got the score, though. <laughs> Andy, tell us what's, what's going on about this, this season pass thing. Okay, so all locations doesn't mean all locations just yet. They're still rolling it out. Uh, but yes, this this program was in beta and was uh, being tested over in uh, the New York area. But it's finally here. And what it's going to consist of is it's going to depend on, on uh, location. So the price range is going to be anywhere from $15 a month to $30 a month. Uh, you know, if, if you're in a big market like New York or, or L.A., it's going to be on the higher end of that. Um, and it's also going to apply to 3D, 70 millimeter Dolby Atmos uh, and the big show premium large format. So basically the, the, the extra special showings are, are going to also apply, but there will be a $2 surcharge for uh, some of these special showings. Um, you can also... Uh, buy online or you can buy uh, tickets ahead of time, which was one of the big issues with something like a movie pass is that you had to kind of buy the tickets uh, about an hour or so before the show. So it's not quite rolled out to everyone. It's I checked here in Dallas. It's not quite here, but it is going wide soon. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Alamo Drafthouse is, of course, a select chain of movie theaters in Texas and a couple of the states, right? Uh, California, I think they got a couple out there. Uh, or maybe it's just Texas. Uh, that, that, that are basically just upscale. They're just a little nicer, and, and, and they really care about the presentation. Their, their food is fantastic. They're very particular about being quiet in the movies. If you haven't been to an Alamo Draft House, I would strongly encourage it. They're very cool. I went for the first time last year, and now I can't stop going. This might be the first season pass movie theater subscription service I actually spring for. Same, same as you, right, Andy? Yeah, absolutely. So the main thing that's been holding us back... Uh, when Movie Pass first came out, and everyone else is, uh, first of all, it, it's theater exclusivity, but also, um, I mean, that, that's the main problem is not everything comes to every theater, and I find myself having to go to multiple theaters sometimes to see everything I want. Uh, the good thing with Alamo though is that they have a, a pretty high rotation, and they're gonna be showing like you know the the indies, the kind of more obscure films, the the things, the kind of bold cinema we talk about on on this show. So it's it's the kind of place that um the shows the movies that we see shows you know has a big variety and also it's just it's the kind of theater we like it's it's more adult there's it's kind of you know people generally don't bring kids it's a little bit more expensive you you know you're you can buy alcohol <laughs> so it's all those good things right uh alamo last year i think we had a, a i think it was in the news somewhere that we covered alamo did something like 260 um like different film screenings over the course of the year, including just what they already ran in theaters. Normally they would do retro screenings, events, Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know, live things, all, all kinds of stuff. Whereas normal theaters like AMC and Harkins and Regal and the other big ones, Cinemark, they only do like a little over a hundred. They're just doing like what comes to theaters. Alamo's doing older movies. They're doing newer movies. They do stuff all across the board. And it's just a really pleasant experience. Now, I do like going and seeing movies in different places. I'm not exclusively tied to Alamo Drafthouse, but man, if the price is right, if they can hit one of these, I don't know, 15 or $20 in Dallas, I think I might, 
do as a host of a movie movie podcast I, that might be worth my my money you know to just do that and there you go i can go see my stuff throw on a plus one for christine to go see movies with me i don't know i i guess we'll see but is this is this the model for movie theaters going forward andy is this what everybody's doing i mean where are we where are it we seems here? to be that way it seems to be like the the 20 to 30 dollar um, price range is really where it needs to be for it not to, for them not to take a total loss. And the other thing is somewhere like Alamo is making a lot of money off their food, uh, you know, similar to how concessions sell better. But they their their food is pretty good. I enjoyed the breakfast tacos myself. <laughs> um, and believe me, we're, we are not getting paid by Alamo as much as I wish we were. Yeah, uh, no. Uh, if anybody from Alamo Draft House is listening, slip us a slip us a sponsorship resume. We'll, ta- we'll exactly. take a look at that. Yeah, we'll send exactly. it to we'll send it to the team for a review, the off script team, uh, to see if it's worth it. But yeah, Alamo's great. Uh, I I would would probably be interested in getting this. Uh, I'd love yeah. for them to be a sponsor on the show. Yeah, AMC uh, kind of has the only other one that that I'm not interested in, but I would entertain probably in a second place kind of. Uh, there, theirs is a good deal. There's just not a lot of AMC around me. It's funny. I've been going to a, a theater called Harkins. Uh, it's a ways away. It's a, it's a small chain. Uh, very nice, but they don't do any kind of subscription thing. So what are you going to do? And they're not as good as Alamo anyway. So yeah, I, I guess I guess the, the byline of this story is if you're going to do a subscription service, it needs to be pretty premier. It needs to be pretty good for people to spring for it. Because if it's just like AMC or Regal or Cinemark, you're not really doing anything different than everybody else. You know, you got to do something unique. So. Well, and you run the risk of not, you know, in our case, not showing the movies we want to see. Right. And, well, you know, what's the point in that? Our, our next story, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog speeds past Call of the Wild with $26.3 million in its second weekend. The Paramount Blue Video Game Hero has outpaced Harrison Ford and his stupid CGI dog to take the top spot at the North American box office. Andy, what do you know about this? Well, uh, Sonic continues to be a hit. They've crossed the uh, the hundred million dollar mark um, squarely in the earning back their money or making some profit now because they I think they were on a seventy seventy five million dollar budget. Uh, so it it's a hit. It's doing great money. It's on its its second week. It beat the newcomer. Uh, so CGI he- hedgehog beat a CGI dog. Yes, uh, Call of the Wild is of course produced by. Disney, as far as I know, right? Uh, yes. So that's a little bit of a surprise. I, I, I look at I look at Call of the Wild, and I wonder if it was a bit of a like a direct streaming kind of thing. But it seems like they wanted to really push for it to be in theaters. Maybe that was following, you know, Harrison Ford uh, uh, being in Star Wars Episode Seven, or or I don't know what. But the, but the the all CGI dog thing has knocked me off a little bit, and I wonder if it knocked other people off too. But then we have our all CGI hedgehog. Uh, that's clearly doing better. What, what's what's the difference? Why is one doing better than the other? I, I, the dog is a big issue, but at the same time, you know, on, on another show, uh, someone said, you know, animals in Hollywood do not have a good, really good track record, and many, many uh, a friendly canine and feline have died in the surface of, of the film industry. So it's, in one instance, it's good that, you know, you didn't have to use any live animals, that therefore, you know, no animals were uh, hurt during the filming of these projects. At the same time, you need a real dog for a dog movie. <laughs> sure. Uh, this, of course, is, I guess, not too much of a surprise sitting next to Margot Robbie's led uh, DC anti-heroin movie, Birds of Prey, that we talked about a couple weeks ago, which made $6.7 million in its third weekend, which is only Oof. just above Bad Boys for Life, which made five point nine in its fourth weekend. So uh, not too great, man. Birds of Prey has really fallen right off the edge of the map. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's really had a hard time finding an audience. Right. Meanwhile, we're going to see Parasite for a second time and then talking about it for a second time on our movie <laughs> podcast. So, uh, But if you want to hear our Birds of Prey review, that was last week. Uh, we will get to Sonic in just a moment. But one more story before we get there. Uh, Bob Iger to step down as Disney's CEO effective immediately. Disney announced this today as we're recording, which almost never happens in movie news. It Almost consistently, cool news comes out like a day after the show. So it was a surprise to catch this one. But Disney announced that is that their CEO, Bob Iger, will be stepping down from the role and becoming executive chairman through 2021 to help transition in their new CEO, a man named Bob Chapik, uh, who, was most re- who most recently served as the chairman of Disney Parks Experiences and Products. So I'm a, I'm a big Disney fan. And when we were looking at news, I, I, I threw this one out there and Andy said, OK, what's 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 the spin here? And I said, well, the, the big headline here is <laughs> the CEO of the biggest entertainment company in the world is changing hands. Like, is stepping down and they're getting somebody new. And maybe that's not so interesting, but let me just paint a little bit of a picture of of Bob Iger and what he's done. Before Bob Iger in 2000, before he came on in 2005, the CEO was Michael Eisner, who was widely regarded as not a great pick for CEO for the Disney company. He made a lot of kind of foolish decisions. He didn't do a whole lot for them. Uh, Disney was actually in a bit of a rut when he came in. Bob Iger joined in 2005. He's been CEO for 15 years, coming up on 16 when he is officially out of the company in 2021. And in the 15 years Bob Iger has been CEO, a few big things have happened. All right. Namely, uh, Disney has acquired, let's see, Pixar, uh, Marvel Entertainment, Lucasfilm, and 21st Century Fox, which are huge. Massive. Massive. It, it it has escalated. I mean, and when they bought Pixar in 2006, it was for $7.4 billion, which was a big deal. That was like, oh man, that's a lot. They just bought 21st Century Fox last year for $71.3 billion, which is literally 10 times plus some what they paid for Pixar. Like, And that's 13 years later. Disney is making some big moves and they're taking some big steps and they got there because Bob Iger was at the top when it was happening. Bob Iger resurrected their animation department and and brought in films like Tangled and Frozen and Frozen 2 into the fold. That wouldn't have happened without him. Uh, their parks uh, has have made some strides, I should say, especially in foreign markets uh, over in Shanghai. Uh, the Disney park over there has, has blown up to be a huge thing. Uh, here, they're not doing so hot, only because our man Bob Chapik, who is now CEO, has been running things, and he's been looking at cut costs, and he's been kind of duping attract, duplicating attractions and cutting employee hours. He's been making some questionable decisions. So I guess the long and short of this is, man, Bob Iger did some really great things for this company. And now the guy coming in is questionable. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. And and I know there's no, no, not a whole lot more to say in, in regards to this movie podcast. But just understand, if uh-huh. if you think Disney has made some big strides in the past 15 years, it's because this guy has been CEO. And now he's not. So, you know, we'll see what happens, I guess. One of the one of the know. his his big contributions uh, in the last few years is the development of Disney Plus, and you know the first real challenge to uh, one of the first big challenges to Netflix um, for size and property and all that. For you know Disney went head first. First they worked with Netflix, and then they just barreled head first into the streaming wars, and uh, they're definitely going to be one of the big contenders. And this first year is a little soft; they're a little light on content, but um, it's going to about a year in it's gonna really hit yeah no you're absolutely right i completely forgot that in my in my brief summary yeah he launched disney plus 
that was his kind of thing. He had had a background working at ABC is where he got started in Disney. And, and he said, I want to do this streaming thing. I think this is the future. I think this is where we're going. Before that, we had the Disney vault and you can only get these movies like once every five years. Now you can watch them on the go whenever you want. So big moves, big shakeup, a guy, a guy who brought Disney into the, I think the modern era, I think he'll be looked back on as a really great part of their history. And, uh, he's doing his own thing now. So, you know, He's got a, he's got a book, a memoir out. You can buy at Barnes and Noble. I know I saw that the other day. Other than that, Bob Iger man out. Bob Chapik in. Keep an eye on Disney for more, I guess, and keep it here on Offscript for more Disney news because Disney runs the world. And with that, we should jump into a not Disney film, uh, Paramount Pictures Sega film, Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> minutes ago so sonic the hedgehog is of course the story of our blue hedgehog yes sonic uh, as described as a space alien in this film who is transported to earth uh through a portal to the lovely montana where he meets uh james marsden's tom wachowski a local sheriff uh who in a- who ends up kind of Getting getting in a bit of a scruff uh, with our man and and alerting local government authorities who hire Dr. Robotnik, played by Jim Carrey, to track down our hedgehog and discover what kind of threat the world faces with a blue alien hedgehog on 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 the planet. Uh, it's a bit of a road film, bit of a buddy cop kind of movie with Sonic and 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 James Marsden teaming up to take on Jim Carrey. Uh, there's some kind of fun side characters, a little bit of comedy, and ultimately a journey into San Francisco that leads to a big shootout and face-off between the Hedgehog and Dr. Eggman Robotnik. Uh, Andy, what did you think of Sonic <laughs> the Hedgehog? Uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I actually really enjoyed this. Uh, it is a kid's film, obviously aimed at younger audiences. Uh, but sometimes you, sometimes you can get really terrible films that are aimed at kids, and sometimes you get really you know great things like things that Pixar does or the, things like the Lego Movie. Um, and this is kind of in between that, where you just have a, a real solid film. You you have a lovable blue character. You have you know well rounded adult characters with problems, and it, you know it has a nice three act structure. And that's that kind of thing that I like for it to, to see young people in that way they can kind of get used to m- more mature movies eventually uh but i really liked it i i thought um it was fun it was entertaining there was good action there were some good jokes uh jim carrey is great as the uh as dr robotnik he's uh really you know <laughs> chewing it up there's a little bit of ace ventura <laughs> in there a couple of times um it, it was a lot of fun i i was really surprised yeah i i feel the same way this movie is not bad um, I think people, <laughs> I think people kind of expected it to be really bad, at least adults. Um, so that's something we need to talk about. Uh, we need to talk about the redesign this movie has had. Of course, we need to talk about the plot and the acting <laughs> in it. I think Jim Carrey's a big part of it. Uh, the, yeah, the, this movie's not, not that bad. That's, that's, that's the, that's the short end. So let's get into the long, uh, first off, I want to talk about, our performances. Uh, we've got Ben Schwartz as the voice of Sonic, kind of a high-pitched, uh, childlike character. James Marsden as Tom Wachowski, and Jim Carrey as Doctor Ivo Robotnik, or as uh, Sonic refers to him, uh, Eggman. 
uh, Andy, I think you already kind of summed it up with Jim Carrey. Jim's definitely going for his like manic energy of his kind of older, longstanding career. Things like Ace Ventura, Liar, Liar, The Mask, right? He's all over the place. Uh, he's, he's acting wild and moving really fast and talking really fast and very manic, uh, and, and, and honestly brings a lot to the role. I I think it would have been a little boring had it been somebody a little bit drier. Um, at the same time, Dr. Robotnik is supposed to be kind of a dry guy. So he gets, (laughs) you get some weird, like it's, it's a weird in between. He's not, he's not as crazy as somebody like Ace Ventura, but he's got the same kind of energy under the hood. And so... You end up with some kind of funny stuff from him. You end up with also some flops. Uh, I laughed a few times at him, though, for what it's worth. Uh, James Marsden's Tom Wachowski is pretty pretty boilerplate, man. He's pretty standard white guy, Ken Doll superhero uh, protagonist, I guess. Uh, he's, he's not doing anything particularly outstanding. But he does a great job of acting like he's talking to... Uh, a, bl- a blue hedgehog it's not really there because it's cgi and and that's because i think he was in hop a couple years ago where he uh-huh. talks to a easter bunny through a whole movie so i think he's got some experience in that and ben schwartz sonic is pretty good man he sounds pretty good uh I, I think some people were upset he's not sonic isn't voiced by the previous uh voice actor the guy who played urkel on family matters i forget his name uh but anyway now jaleel it's ben white Sh- jaleel white yes and now it's ben schwartz and ben schwartz is pretty good man He's, he's pretty all right. The three of them, I think, do a pretty good job of holding this movie down. There's some other kind of side characters. For the most part, I'd say those are your three big ones. Yeah, uh, James Mar- Marsden is, is just, like you said, real boilerplate. He's just, he's he's the hero. He's the lead guy. It's funny, I kept thinking, though, he's in a, he's in Westworld, and he has a <laughs> very kind of uh, tragic fate in, in that uh, TV series. But that's kind of who I was reminded of. Uh, and, yeah, Ben Schwartz is fine as as the voice of, of Sonic. Um it didn't really stand out to me, but also wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't a failure either. Uh, Jim Carrey, like I said, he's he's definitely he he's like the one cartoon character aside from Sonic in in this whole thing. And to me, it 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 is kind of a weird mix. Like I think you could have also gone with like a more serious kind of uh, menacing bad guy, governmental bad guy, someone like Mark Strong. Um, but you know, his character works, and it's it's definitely like I said, it's definitely aimed at kids. And there's is some jokes aimed at kids that they'll they'll find him entertaining and laugh at. And uh yeah and i was i want to get into some of the you know he's got these gadgets and this truck and all this like that set design stuff helps his his character like be as menacing as, as it is yeah and and that's that leans more towards tone which i want to get to in just a second to to briefly kind of cover the plot and i know i already kind of hit it at the beginning this is essentially uh, an on the road movie like uh, two buddies on the road right trying trying to escape uh, the bad guy. That's essentially what we're dealing with. Uh, Sonic is in Montana. He's in hiding at the beginning of the film. Nobody knows he's there. Um, but he really wants a friend because Sonic in this movie is like a 10-year-old. He, he is a child. Like, you need to understand that. This movie is made for kids. He is a child. He flosses twice in this movie. And I don't mean, like, with your teeth. I mean the dance. Like, he, he is a kid, <laughs> right? That is the whole deal. Uh, and he runs into Tom, who's been kind of watching from afar. Uh, and the two of them have to hide from from the government and Dr. Robotnik, uh, of course, who's hired by the government as a bit of a, almost like a mercenary kind of guy, mm-hmm. uh, consultant, I don't know, uh, to, to figure out what's been going on in Montana and these weird happenings people have seen because of Sonic. Um, the two of them end up having to drive to San Francisco, not San Diego, uh, to recover something Sonic lost there and Robotnik's hot on their tail. That's really it. There's a showdown at the end. It, it's it's pretty simple A to B to C. Uh, the, two, the characters find each other, they hit the road, they have the face-off at the end, 
it's a kid's movie. It's a movie for kids. And for that, I, I can't fault it. It does exactly what it needs to do. You, you get some funny set pieces. You get some kind of charming moments. Uh, you get some kind of clever filmmaking in a way. Um, ultimately, it, you know, checks the boxes, man. It's pretty boilerplate. Yeah, so so one of the things is that I thought was cool because uh, this is you know essentially a video game movie which don't have a good history in in Hollywood in adaptations, uh, but they do a pretty good job in kind of finding excuses to bring things from the game into the world. Like you know in the if you've ever played the games, the Sonic rings are a big deal. He's collecting the rings is kind of your life meter. And in this, what what they do is he he's kind of given a bag of these rings at the beginning, and they they kind of serve as portals to between worlds, and so he keeps them with him in case he needs to. Uh, kind of escape to uh, another place um, and he loses that bag uh, early on in the film and that's why it kind of what spurs uh, the, the road trip uh, in the first place but it was just it's a clever kind of mechanism to get them you know to get these things that are vi- iconic from the video game but get them to have like a real purpose in the film yeah, and there's some other kind of charming things that are stuck into the movie as, as kind of callbacks to the video game and the, even the comics and I think the cartoon series that they've done for Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, there's there's a bit about him liking Chili Dogs, which is from, I think, the comics or the cartoons. Um, he refers to Dr. Robotnik as Dr. Eggman, which is, I think, an issue they had in translation from from Sega Japan to, to English here back when they were making oh, the video games on gosh. Sega consoles. Yeah, I think... I think he was Robotnik in Japan and they called him Eggman here because they thought people would think it was better or something. So that's kind of addressed in the movie a little bit. It's like a nickname kind of thing Sonic does. Uh, There's a really charming rendition of the Green Hill Zone theme, which is music from the game right at the end. This little piano kind of thing that comes in. Um, so, So kind of some clever callbacks for people who are older and who are fans of the video game and the original work. It's not just for kids. Of course, that's also reflected in the character design of Sonic, who looks exactly like he would look in the video games, which is, of course, different from how he was originally supposed to be in the trailer that came out a couple, what, a year ago, maybe even more, when people flipped out and thought, oh, God, this is the ugliest Sonic the Hedgehog we've ever seen. (laughs) And Paramount set aside, like, what, like $30 million or something to completely rework the CGI and to rework the character. And it totally works, I think, in my opinion. It looks great. It, it doesn't look clumsy. The, the CGI plays way better than something like Cats, right? Yeah, we, we've... Yeah, we, that's what, what's important to talk about, is that this film has had a really kind of interesting journey of, like you said, the first trailer came out, and the character's design was just really strange. He looked very humanoid and not like an animated character. And yeah, there was this big backlash, and the studio listened, and they spent millions of dollars f- fixing it, and it was, wor- it was worth it, apparently. It was, it was successful way more people probably saw it um and so that kind of brings in a bigger question about like you know is internet backlash justified in kind of changing this like because it worked for this movie but i don't think it's necessarily always a good thing no uh definitely interesting definitely interesting the one time the internet said hey we don't like this and the studio listened and now they seem to be making money back now it is also a children's film which we should talk about tonally, that's important. But you got to understand a couple of things. One, this movie is making a killing because people feel like they were heard. Two, because it's a children's film, which means for every kid that wants to go see it, at least one parent or guardian has to take them and pay for a ticket. You get two for the price of one. For every audience member that wants it, two people are paying. It's brilliant. Uh, so for everybody out there that thinks, well, this movie is doing so much better than Birds of Prey, that's a big part of the reason why. Birds of Prey is rated R. This is rated, rated PG, right, for, for parental guidance. Um, but tonally, 
this is for kids. And I think this is where some people on the internet have been disappointed. I, I, I went and saw it with a group of guys uh, when I was out on a job out in Las Vegas. Uh, and all three of them couldn't stand it. And they were thinking, oh, this movie's going to be so bad, it's good. It's going to be so bad it, that, that I'm going to like it. Like The and, Room. Right. And it's actually kind of okay and they were disappointed and suddenly it turned around and it's terrible again and i don't know how how that happens and somebody said me i i i enjoyed it i went in with very low expectations i was kind of surprised at how much i liked it how about you andy um yeah like i said uh, one of the things that i wanted to get into of why why it works is um a lot of the sets and things are really convincing like they there's several kind of set pieces uh that they have kind of this et uh styles setting at the beginning where there's like a big government tent and all these government workers and government vehicles. And they've, you know, it's all set up. It's not CGI. They have a, they have a big cast and like all these tents and people in, in scrubs and uniforms and military vehicles. And they've, you know, Dr. Robotnik has this cool like custom truck and a couple of custom vehicles that, um, you know, have been fabricated for, for the film as well as, uh, there's things like, uh, there's a, there's kind of this bar fight, which someone said was inspired by Roadhouse, the Patrick Swayze movie. Um, this big bar scene, and it's in a bar, and a lot, lots of things uh, kind of happen. There, there's a big kind of scuffle in there, uh, but it's a really good scene, and it, it you know, the, the, you can tell they spent the money to like to create these sets and film there. It's not all just like filmed on a back lot, um, or at least it doesn't look that way. Yeah, and there's some kind of clever bits in there too. Um... Like I mentioned earlier, clever filmmaking. Just to specify that Roadhouse scene, um, when Sonic moves really fast, one of two things happen, right? Either he's a blur and we can't see him, or he vanishes and then returns to the screen a couple frames later. Or, just like Quicksilver and X-Men, like time kind of freezes, and we get to follow him around as he walks around normally. And that's what happens in that Roadhouse scene. It's kind of fun. You throw a little music over it. He does some goofy things. He gives somebody a wedgie. Like, <laughs> it's it's goofy kid stuff, right? But it works, and it's kind of clever, and it's it's got kind of a smart approach. I think, yeah, the sets look smart. Uh, Dr. Robotnik's technology, his robots and stuff, are kind of clever. Um, everything's got a really sharp presentation to it. Now... This is all wrapped in the guise of, of course, a small town in Montana, uh, surrounded by what we're going to call uh, product placement, which we need to talk about. Yes, definitely aimed at those parents taking these kids. Yeah, man. Uh, Andy noticed this more than I did. I noticed it, but it didn't bother me too much. Andy, <laughs> who is who is this movie sponsored by? It ruined my immersion. Um, who <laughs> Who isn't it sponsored by? So, so part of this, it did kind of take me out of it. It felt a little bit like a Super Bowl commercial because there's very blatant references to things like zillow amazon prime the olive garden uh toyota tacomas uh there's some pretty blatant product placement like i said there's a couple of gags about the olive garden which are clear and they say the catchphrase as well so you know that's put in there like scripted ads yeah where where it's in the script and they talk about it yeah there's an amazon joke uh, about drones that could it like it's it could have passed, but it was obviously, I'm sure, uh, bought and paid for. Uh, yeah, the, and like uh, they drive most of the the road trip is in a Toyota Tacoma, which gets totaled by the end. But it, not without seeing a, a ton of scenes of it swerving into place with like the big Toyota logo on the side. Right, it drifts right onto its mark. Like, look how perfect this shot looks. It's like something out of commercial. Yeah. Uh, I definitely, I, I, I audibly laughed in the theater, uh, one, of, one of the first laughs the movie got, when Tom's wife, this wonderful veterinarian played by Natasha Rothwell, 
uh, actually, I'm sorry, Tika Sumter uh, play, plays her. Uh, she says, "Oh yeah, I've been looking. I've been looking for our new house in 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 San Francisco on uh, Zillow. Zillow, and then it cuts to a laptop with like Zillow open on the front page, and it hangs for like four seconds. It was so perfect. Like, yep, there's Zillow, Zillow.com. Look how great it is for finding houses. Um, you know, which again." is not great product placement wise, but like legitimately made me laugh. Like, which I mean, what, what better to happen from a product? placement? Yeah. Right? It, I mean, it's so overbearing just because they know that parents are taking kids to see this. So this is aimed at, you know, those parents that ide- ideally have money to raise children and take them to the theater. Yeah. And ultimately I feel like that's maybe a good, a good kind of way to, to encapsulate this whole review. This, this movie is overbearing. It's, it's hyper saturated. It's it's extreme. Things are turned up to eleven. It's loud. It's boisterous. It's goofy. Sonic flosses twice. Like it's the power of friendship. It, exactly, and it's it's made it's made for children. It's made for babies. Like, and if you understand <laughs> that going in, you're probably going to be okay. But if you're thinking, oh, it's going to be catered to me and my cool gamer friends, like, you're probably going to be disappointed. But ultimately, like, you could do so much worse for a children's film than Sonic the Hedgehog. It really is not that bad. It might, it might even be good, I think. Mm-hmm. So, Andy, any other things we should cover in here? I think I'm ready to go. I think I am, too. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Sonic the Hedgehog? Yeah, I would. Uh, I mean, it's obviously a kids' movie, so it's aimed at younger audiences. So if you have kids, I'm sure they'll enjoy it. If you're a big Sonic fan, if you if you grew up on the Sega Genesis, like I didn't, but it was it was around. I had a Super Nintendo um, instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, if you know, if you remember, and I remember playing uh, some Sonic games, and you want to see what this is all, all about, and it, like you know, it's it's fun, it's well rounded, it's good for the kids, safe for the kids. Uh, Jim Carrey's Good. So yeah, overall recommend. It's not, and it's not too long. It's you know, it's like ninety-five minutes. Yeah, I, I would recommend it as well. It's really not that bad. Uh, I know I keep saying we're going with low expectations, and now we're both sitting here like it's good. But like, <laughs> really, I mean, if you're taking a kid, like if you're a parent, you know, or you're going to see it with your niece or nephew, or yeah, you just want to go see it with your stupid friends, uh, and maybe get a couple of beers or something and wrap us on it, like. It's not that bad. Jim Carrey's kind of fun trying to do the manic energy Jim Carrey thing. Uh, there's kind of some funny bits in it. It's really okay. It's it's really okay. Like, I don't think it's that bad. I think people who've been on the internet saying it's terrible are just sensational. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so. I, did, I did remember one last thing. So there is another piece of product placement that would have worked on me. Uh, Sonic's shoes, he, he, like, you know, busts his shoes and he gets, uh, like, the bright red pair that he's kind of known for. And, and they're Pumas. <laughs> and they actually look really cool. And I went to look them up. They don't make them. They, yeah. they, they, the ones that they made are for the film promotion only, and they only made five pairs. How did that happen? How would, would you not ma- like mass produce a limited edition line of Sonic Pumas, right? Totally. I, I, well, the thing is, they do have a line of Sonic shoes, but they look dumb. But like yeah, the ones, like, that, but the ones yeah. in the movie look look really cool. I was like, I probably would have bought those. You can get, <laughs> you yeah, you, made them. You can get like a crappy pair of Vans off the wall for like thirty five dollars with like Sonic heads on it or something. Like nothing, nothing particularly outstanding. Like a cool pair of Pumas. But also, uh, I'm convinced this movie does a, is an old school dig at Mario. Because for anybody to know a little video game history, back in the day, Sonic and Mario were like the two big video game rivals, right? Mario was Nintendo, Sonic was Sega, and the two of them went head-to-head all the time. 
um, as far as like marketing goes, uh, Sonic in this movie is desperately afraid of having to leave Earth and go to another planet, uh, and that planet being the the Mushroom Planet, and Mario's from the Mushroom Kingdom. And the whole movie, he's like, I don't want to go to the Mushroom Planet. Mushroom <laughs> yeah. Planet's bad. I'm like, I'm a little convinced there's a little something there, but I, who knows? Maybe not. You heard it here first. Anyway, we should talk about some trailers that are coming up. We got a little bit of a rundown. Andy, you want to give us the intro here? It's time for the trailer part. All right, so our first film um, is called Run. And this is a horror thriller that I just saw the trailer for uh, last week and stars uh, Sarah Paulson and newcomer Kira Allen. Um, Kira Allen plays a homeschool teenager who is in a wheelchair. She has suffered some sort of childhood trauma, and that's why she's in the chair. And uh, as she's growing up, she's uh, she begins to suspect that her mother is playing some sort uh, is hiding some sort of secret in that. She may not be her mother at all, or uh, she may be, in fact, have been a kidnapping victim. The trailer actually gives a ho- whole lot away, but it looks, it reminded me a lot of, of things like Misery, uh, the Stephen King uh, film and book from from the late 80s and 1990, uh, starring Kathy Bates. Uh, this looked really, it looked kind of scary to me, and it looked just like, like a really tight thriller, and, you know, because you have essentially have this, this young girl, like I said, played by Kira Allen, who is going to try to end escape, but she's obviously in a wheelchair so that's going to be a lot more difficult than if she wasn't so uh i'm kind of, I, this has a may release so i'm kind of excited about this and sarah paulson gets to do her worry face that she does in everything <laughs> she's made a career off of sarah paulson's got to be so tired of doing horror like she's got to be so sick of it she's really good at it though to be fair mm-hmm. um yeah I, so i'm interested in this movie or or I should say I was more interested in it. Uh, it does look an awful lot like the story of Gypsy Rose Blanchard, uh, who is the subject of the 2017 crime documentary Mommy Dead and Dearest, which is currently available on HBO, I believe. Uh, not to give it away, I think you should probably go just look it up if you want to know what that story is about, but this seems to follow very similar beats, at least by like by the trailer numbers, right? Like It just looks like, okay, we have this girl who is is kind of sick and always at home and her mom takes care of her and then she just figure out hold on something's not right here like something something doesn't add up what's what's going on so that a little bit bums me out because i've seen that documentary and it's pretty good and and it's probably worth going and seeing but i i hope it's not the same story i really hope it's not just the same rehash thing i've already seen because that made news headlines back when it happened and then the trailer came out and that was or the, the movie came out the, the documentary came out good lord and that was that kind of made waves and that's when I saw it and I'm like, please don't let this be the third time I have to watch this story, you know, cause <laughs> oh, it's not, it is not the, the most in, in, uh, encouraging story. Let's say that there's a reason this is a horror film, uh, they're, they're presenting here. So I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm interested in this. I, I remember it's, it's directed by somebody cool. Isn't it? I, who, hold on a second. Let me, I've already closed the link. Uh, uh that's the one I recognize. Anish, Chaganti. Anish Chaganti, who's also directed uh, Searching. Or he's a writer on Searching in 2018. Okay, so I take it back. It's not directed by anybody cool. Okay, I, I don't I don't I don't know why <laughs> I saw this movie and thought something looked interesting, but it's got a bit of an A24 look. Lionsgate could be could be cool, maybe. Yeah. May release, that's usually a hot time. May release, that's right. Uh, our next trailer we're gonna talk about is an HBO film called Bad Education. Bad <laughs> Education. 
Please join me in welcoming to the stage our district superintendent and my friend, Frank Tassel. So, Bad Education appears to be the story of Hugh Jackman, Academy Award nominee, uh, who is a superintendent at a Long Island school that has been seeing some recent upticks in uh, attendance and, and, and profits, and people are super happy about how things are going, apparently, in Long Island. Having a good school is a big, big deal, and Hugh Jackman's district is killing it. The movie also stars, stars Allison Janney and, and Emmy, Emmy winner Ray Romano. Uh, somewhere along the way, it's discovered that something isn't quite right. In the school, uh, something isn't going correct, and that's really all the trailer shows. So something, something under the surface is wrong. Maybe Hugh Jackman isn't everybody, isn't everything people think he is. I'm not really sure, um, but I know Jackman usually picks his roles pretty particularly. The trailer seems to offer a glowing review of him, saying this is an acting masterclass he's giving. Uh, I don't know. What do you think of Bad Education? So I, I'm really excited about this, and I think I, I I'm not sure if it's this or because there was another scandal in Atlanta or in the Georgia area that was also really big in the last few years. Um, people went to jail uh, because of this, and it was basically people were fudging um, uh, test scores uh, and you know cheating for, on behalf of students so they could get better funding, which would actually end up going somehow was getting funneled back into their pockets, and uh, it was a huge deal, huge scandal. Um, and people were, were, you know, sentenced to prison. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm anxious from it, uh, looking into it from kind of the crime aspect of it. And of course it's a brilliant cast as well. Yeah. So we'll have to see what that's about. That'll be on HBO in April. I want to say that's when that comes out. April 25th. Yes. Sooner rather than later. Uh, one more to talk about. And then, you know, there's one we didn't put in the outline that I think I want to bring up. So okay. Andy, <laughs> you take this next one. We'll get into it. The French dispatch. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch. Uh, so this is Wes Anderson's uh, next uh, film. Wes Anderson, of course, uh, director of, of hits such as uh, Moon, Moonrise Kingdom, the Darjeeling Limited. What are some of his other... The, the Grand Budapest <laughs> Hotel... <laughs> They all just kind of blend together, don't they? Yeah, they do. You know, I, w- I did watch this trailer again just now, and I actually liked it more than I said. Because before the show, I was like, he always makes the same movie. He needs to do something different. Yeah. He definitely has a particular style, um, and we see that in this. So this is about the French Dispatch, which is a newspaper in Kansas. And it looks like it's six short stories that are going to be told uh, through this. And, of course, we, we have an incredible cast including uh timothy chalamet saoirse ronan leah sidhu elizabeth moss benicio del toro edward norton willem dafoe tilda swinton christoph waltz bill murray i mean it just like it goes on and on owen wilson adrian brody uh so it's an incredible wes anderson style cast and they're all telling different stories um which are are kind of portrayed on the thing it looks like timothy chalamet plays some sort of a chess player or something uh what do you think zach uh, I'm excited. I, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, it does look like all those other movies. Totally. Um, but Wes Anderson is like an unabashed auteur. He 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 has a style and he doesn't care. He's making the same thing every time. And I don't know what he's working towards exactly. I don't know what like the perfect like the perfect Wes Anderson movie is gonna be. But I know I enjoy each one of his movies more like every, each one I see, I progressively like him more and more. And when I go back and watch his stuff, I like those movies more too. So like 
I, I like Wes Anderson, man. I didn't used to for a long time. I wasn't into him, but like somewhere along the way, I've fallen in love with this guy's films. And this one just looks just as charming and fun as all the others. So I don't know, man. I, I think I'm in for the French dispatch. I, I, it's hard for me to put my finger on why, but it's just so different and unique and funny and, and, um, stark in its presentation with its weird cream colors and, and, one point perspective in every shot and and he's just he's real particular and and i like him so the french dispatch uh stay tuned for more i guess uh two things actually i want to talk about the one in the outline man i'm really going off script today haha uh first and i don't know if you have any thoughts on this andy uh spiral oh okay yeah yeah, so we didn't we didn't talk about this because we haven't done a trailer park in a while. So Saw, Lionsgate, like the Saw films, right, the horror films, are getting a bit of a reboot, bit of a soft reboot, I think, uh, helmed by writer uh, Chris Rock, the comedian who is, is has written and is starring in a new Saw film called Spiral. It also stars Samuel L. Jackson, which... Again, for the ninth film in a horror franchise, like seems like a weird, weird direction to go in. There's been a teaser trailer that's come out. There's not a whole lot known about it other than Chris Rock is writing it. Apparently, he got into writing it because he met with uh, the head of Lionsgate at a party and said, hey, I like those Saw movies. Uh, I got an idea for one. And, and, and the head was like, really? What, what is it? And he told him and he went, that's brilliant. Let's do that. And, and here we are. So it's happening. Any hot takes on this, Andy? Uh, it, yeah, like you said, it's so strange because essentially with Samuel L. Jackson being himself, it, it looks like, you know, Bad Boys 3 or it, it looks like that kind of film or, you know, that kind of cast. But then it's a Saw movie. So it's like, it, you know, it's just it's a really kind of different approach. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting that Chris Rock's really into this this series. But yeah, it, you know, this isn't usually who headlines these films. It's usually like uh white male actors so it's a big twist and you know obviously they're both comedic actors as well so it's it's an interesting take for sure yeah it's it's something uh saw for anybody doesn't know has had a very very odd history uh let's keep in mind that the the basically the the mastermind of all of the saw movies died in saw three and then they made six more and now they're making you know this And, and so i don't I, I, man, I lost the thread of how the Saw movies were all put together a long time ago. I thought the first two were pretty good, um, and they just progressively got worse. Even two's not that good, let's be clear. But, uh, I, man, I'm, I'm interested to see where this goes. Like, I, I, I will go see this movie. <laughs> I don't, I, I kind of dig the Saw movies. This seems like a, a kind of gritty reboot kind of thing. I know that we still have a full trailer to go before we know more, but for now, I'm interested in Spiral. Andy, you gonna go, you gonna go see this? We, if we do it for the show, otherwise not. I'm not. I'm not particular. I'm not particularly interested in the Saw series as a whole outside the, outside the first one. It's a good peek behind the curtain for people who don't know. When you have a movie podcast, uh, whether or not you'll go see a film is in a totally different category now because you're like, well, I might have to see it for the show. So if it's for that, then yeah. But <laughs> otherwise, no. Uh, the last thing, and it's not even a trailer. Uh, it's hardly even a clip. It is a a light a lighting test for the new uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman. Oh, that's right. 
Yeah, we, we haven't got, talked about that at all. We got the bat jaw. Yeah, we we got about uh, a minute. <laughs> bat jaw. Good <laughs> we we had about a minute uh, screen test of Robert Pattinson, which which was also a test for the score. Um, and we we got to see this very blurry figure slowly step forward into the light, kind of drenched in red, with you know with a small look at the new bat suit and the bat a little bit of the bat cowl and the bat jaw played by Robert Pattinson, uh, and it looked really cool. A really cool score. Uh, everyone seemed to really think it was pretty awesome. It's a really cool looking thing. Uh, it it kind of came out of nowhere. They just dropped it on Twitter. Like, hey, uh, here's a screen test. Like, I think the director dropped it. Um, very intrigued. Because I saw, you know, normally you see, okay, here's a little, here's here's a teaser or something. And it's like a logo reveal for a movie, right? Like, nothing. It's, it's like what we've seen of Marvel's The Eternals. Like, all we've seen is, like, a logo. Like, we don't know anything about it. And just out of nowhere, hey, here's a screen test. And it's, you actually see our protagonist. I mean, it's hard to see him. He's he's kind of bathed in red light, and you can't really get a good look at him. But you get a little music. You get kind of look at the new suit. Uh, very intrigued. I I'm I'm interested to see what that does for the film. I mean, I assume it's got to get people on the hype train. It certainly got me interested in it. You know, you uh, know, sometimes as you know, people complain about you know a long hype train for a movie, and then sometimes it's fun to get on board because from now, like this movie doesn't come out till summer 2021, so we're talking about an 18 month hype train of talking and getting excited about this movie. And I'm actually looking forward to it. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll have to see, man, uh, just not putting things on the outline and then springing them on you mid recording. It seems to be a good, good way to go. <laughs> There's been some positive feedback for me. I'll have to do this again. Uh, with that, we should probably talk about our second film. Uh, Andy, please take it away. Parasite in black and white. That's a gun. Yes. Uh, so we this weekend we got to go to the historic Texas theater and revisit uh, Oscar-winning film uh, *Parasite* in glorious black and white, uh, which it was it was screened in the, in the special format. Uh, Bong Joon-ho originally said that he he had originally conceived the film it possibly being in black and white, and eventually uh, decided to go with color, but did have this kind of second print. Um, to just kind of experience the film a little bit different way. So we got to see it. And uh, just to recap, if uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, Parasite follows the kind of <laughs> the Kim family, which is uh, a poor South Korean family that, that's kind of down on their luck. They live in this like semi-basement apartment. Uh, it's really, really dirty in this alley. And they're, they're just kind of out of, out of work. You know, they, their parents are looking for, for jobs that they're having a hard time. They're, um, you know, kind of scraping by. And when the uh, eventually the the son uh, Ki Woo Kim gets a he gets a chance to go tutor this rich family's uh, daughter in English, and he he's not really qualified to do this. Like he's not a university student, but his friend who who recommends him say, hey, you know, just kind of look the part. You know, you're you he's like you you pass. You know, you did those those uh, military exams. You, you'll be fine. Um, so he goes and he impresses the mother with his his teaching style, um, and he he also he eventually recommends his sister uh, to come and and tutor the the son in art, and then eventually also get, ends up getting jobs for uh, the rest of the family. And so they're kind of pulling a, a fast one on the, this naive rich uh, f- family, but of course. Uh, 
all good things <laughs> uh, must come to an end. And, and this ruse ev- eventually kind of uh, gets turned on its head. Uh, this movie won Best Picture just a couple of weeks ago, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and one more uh, that I can't remember. Best Foreign Film? Best Foreign Film, of course. Yeah. Um, and is but definitely one of the best films of 2019, or was the best film of 2019, according to the Academy, one of the best films of the decade in in my opinion and we were happy to revisit it in glorious in black and white so zach what did you think <laughs> okay uh yes just to recap in case anybody missed it we did actually already see parasite we covered it in episode 80 of our show where we covered the lighthouse and parasite which if you haven't heard by the way fantastic week at the movies seeing both of those movies back to back so if you haven't heard it go check out episode 80 uh from a few weeks back you won't be disappointed uh i really enjoyed this movie second time around and i didn't think i would i remember you told me hey texas theater is running this in black and white let's go see it and i said well i don't know how i feel about the black and white i remember when we talked about in the news when 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 bong joon ho announced he was going to do this in black and white a few weeks back i said i don't know how i feel about that i think I think this movie does a lot really fantastically with color. I think uh, the biggest contrast, which you pointed out after we watched it, is it's much easier to see the difference in class status with color. You can see how dirty and grimy things are in kind of the lower end of this town. Uh, and you can see how clean and polished things are in this wonderful house that mm-hmm. our uh, Kim family is trying to kind of get into. That really pops in color and you can see the bright sun and the sunlight in in kind of the higher end of town and you can just see like the grime and the night in the lower end and like it's that contrast is very obvious and the black and white that's gone you don't have that like that's that kind of gets blended together which is you said well well what what did you say about that because I I don't I don't mean to see your thunder here why 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 is that important. Uh, you know, so this film is all about class disparity and uh, the black and white version kind of erases a lot that it makes everything look a lot more egalitarian, not only in our setting, but our characters themselves. Like the, the parks don't look particularly more wealthy or more educated or anything than, than the Kims in black and white. They look a little bit more uniform and in color. You see, you see a big difference because the, the Kims look like, I mean, they work hard and they do rough kind of gross jobs that no one else wants to do. Um, they're doing, you know, manual labor, hard jobs. And the, the Kims are just, uh, he's a very successful tech something or other. And she's, she just kind of stays home w- with the kids and then pays the help to do all, all the work for her. Uh, so you, you, that difference is less apparent in black and white. Yes. And, and that's one of kind of many, many different things in this film uh, from black and white to color, but that's probably the most prevalent um, as far as the second rewatch of this movie goes, there's definitely some stuff I noticed that I didn't catch the first time. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, there's there's definitely kind of some some lines I had missed or or things that seem obvious second time around that the first time you were just kind of confused by. This movie has a lot of metaphors and a lot of analogies for kind of larger problems and larger disparities. On top of covering things like class, it also covers themes of family, uh, uh, togetherness, togetherness. Uh, <laughs> Uh, host versus parasite and what that means. I know that's kind of a big analogy. Um, and, and a lot of that stuff just kind of comes to light in a way, second time around. I'm not sure if that's exclusive to the black and white or not. Probably not. But man, for, for the second time through, for this being both of our favorite films of last year and now a five-time Academy Award winner, including Best Picture, um, Parasite holds up great. It holds up great second time through. 
Yeah, I really enjoyed, you know, getting the second watch at this. There's a lot of uh, things that get revealed uh, later on or kind of halfway through the film. It kind of takes a surprising turn and and also uh, throughout the rest, rest of it. And when you see it again, you, you see uh, things referred to, you know, later in the film that happened earlier that you didn't know the first time there's a certain thing with, uh, the lights, uh, are an issue. And then there's, there's also things like, you know, one of the issues or one of the themes is just respect and kind of yeah. the, the lack of it, you know, from the wealthy family to the, to the poorer family. And it's, you know, that, that has nothing to do with wealth. That's just one person to, uh, another. And one of the things that I caught really early on this time around is that, um, uh, Mrs. Park refers to, uh, Ki, uh, Kiwoo as, she just says, oh, we'll just call him Kevin. And they're like, that's not his name. He never, like, he didn't introduce himself as that, you know. Never. She just, yeah, yeah, she just says, oh, we'll just call him that because it's easier than, you know, saying his name or, or whatever, it, uh, you know, it ends up being. So it, it's little digs like that where there's just, you know, no respect for the people working around them. Yeah, and how, uh, you know, Mr. Kim, uh, kind of the head of the, the our, our kind of main family that we're following, mentions a few times hey i i really respect these people you know they they live in this nice house and they're welcoming us in he he uh kind of cheers them at the dinner table and says hey we should all appreciate what they're doing for us in our house like it's a really strange thing and and as the film goes on and i think our characters start to realize hey they they don't respect us in the same way we should respect them and we start to find out each family member actually feels very differently about them. Um, you really start to get some divides in how people feel, which mm-hmm. really I think makes what some might consider a confusing ending a lot, a lot easier to understand. Because because yeah. the first time through, I was definitely a little perplexed by the ending of this film, and the second time through, I was like, this actually makes a lot more sense. In a way, I, I mean, it's 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 a very kind of nonsensical thing that happens, but it's easier to kind of put the pieces together being able to kind of simmer on it a second time around and really, really let those flavors come out, you know? So, uh, another thing that I noticed on rewatch is this theme of, uh, the, the American, the native American, the American Indian, uh, kind of exploitation, but it gets really obvious towards the end, but you see, actually see hints of it very early on where, uh, the sun, uh, uh, Dahai is he's constantly like shooting arrows and he's he like wears like a headdress and it's it, again it, this goes on to the thing about like treatment and, and respect and that theme of, of Native Americans kind of gets bigger and bigger through or it escalates as, as the film goes on but I really caught it early on this time yeah this yeah definitely it's weird man even watching it the second time around there's still a lot of this movie I don't want to divulge like uh, yeah and, no, totally totally and I think that's a big part of this, even though we're seeing it for the second time here and gushing about how great it is. Uh, if you haven't seen this movie, don't, don't like, don't, don't look up a, a, a synopsis or anything to figure out what we're talking about. Just go see it. Just go see it dry. The drier you see it, I think the more you'll enjoy it. Um, it's, it's, there's a reason you haven't really seen spoilers for parasite yet. It's not because, okay, maybe it's a little because it's a subtitled foreign film and not a lot of people watch those, but uh, it is a very sharp film, and I think the people who have seen it really appreciate it and respect it, I hope anyway. Um, and I think that's a big part of why it's got kind of the reverence it has. Uh, it's getting made into an HBO series, which is crazy. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess just to kind of wrap this up, I, I'm, I'm sure we have more things we could say, but like I said, I don't want to get too far into it. Um, did you like it more in black and white or in color? 
I think I may have. I think I might like it more in black and white, but you should. I think you should definitely see it in color first. Mm. I agree. Uh, I I think I like it more in color. Like I said, I think some of those tones just pop out more. Um, if it had been released in black and white, and I'd seen it in black and white only, I don't think I would love it any less. But having seen the original, I, I think I just have a preference, and that's. There's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. Uh, I I think uh, you can go either way, really. But I'd say first time through, you should probably go see it in color, mm-hmm. um, at least for your own sanity. Because I know for a lot of people, watching an entirely subtitled foreign film is already a lot. Uh, so seeing one in black and white might just be—it's like Roma, right? Like it might just be too much for some folks. So yeah. don't yeah, don't be afraid to see it in color. Yeah, I don't I don't think the black and white is uh, mandatory. But if you enjoyed it the first time through, I would definitely encourage you to go see it again. Yeah, and like. I want to say that this film is just so entertaining and it's so much fun. The first act is written so well and so tight. And I remember hearing some some of the reasons that maybe Roma didn't win Best Picture was just because it was it was difficult to get through. It was like doing homework. It was like eating vegetables. Like it's it's a great film. It's just it's really challenging to get through. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's long. It's really slow. It's really kind of complex. Um, this film, uh, Parasite, isn't like that. It's 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 equally as complex, but it's a lot of fun. It, it's a ride along the way. You know, it's it's part humor, part heist, part horror. Um, there, there's a lot kind of wrapped up in there. And uh, the last thing I wanted to say about the black and white is uh, the, the scenes that are in the dark or kind of that are grimy or kind of in the basement or the alleys, all those scenes look even darker in black and white. Like they look even more kind of grim and, and gritty. And that, that's another nice touch. Yeah, and and just yeah, as, as an afterthought here, uh, the editing and the direction just pops so much more second time around. Like when scenes need to move, and and we already kind of know the beats of where they're going. Uh, when when the when we're importing another family member into this high class establishment, uh, it is almost montage, and it's just so sharply edited and cut, and the rhythm of it goes so perfect, and you're just totally sucked into the movie. When it needs to be tense, it's long take, no cuts, and it's just so well put together. And with the cla- like with the classical music soundtrack and and the presentation, it's just such a sharp movie, man. God, this movie's smart. I, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think it, the world of this movie. Yeah, and that was the other thing actually. The I remember the I didn't remember the score as much the first time, but the second time around, I was like, man, it's a really brilliant score. I think I'm probably gonna end up listening to it. Yeah, later. very smart. All right, and with that, we should probably. <sighs> Wrap the show, I guess. I, I think those are our two movies. We talked about some trailers. We talked about some news. Uh, next week on the show, we're going to be talking <laughs> about Emma, the uh, Jane Austen classic. New movies coming out starring Anya Taylor-Joy in the lead, who I'm a big fan of. And Andy's least favorite movie, <laughs> Honey Boy on Amazon Prime. The story of Shia LaBeouf uh, growing up with a dad who was mean to him. Uh, I'm... I'm thinking this movie is actually much more profound than i've made it sound but andy really doesn't want to see this thing i really don't and i've only actually heard good things about it (laughs) i'm just being stubborn yeah well we'll see uh it's very self-reflexive shia labeouf writes and directs a movie about himself you know about like uh man i had a tough time like i don't know we'll see we'll see uh but andy's gonna be doing some traveling i'm gonna be doing some traveling so this probably works out for the best uh if you enjoyed the show do us a solid, leave a rating and review. That's all you got to do. Just go, go to iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or wherever you listen to this and hit rating and hit five stars. That's it. 
If you do any less, it doesn't work. It's crazy. You have to do five. I don't know why <laughs> that is. Uh, also, you know, leave a review if you can swing it. Subscribe to the show if you're able so you can get new episodes every single week. We're on social media, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. We're around. Uh, so follow us where you're able for updates about what we're doing and to find out what we're going to be watching next. And if you want to write into the show, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com to tell us what we should watch next or maybe what you thought of something. We'll talk about your correspondence live on the air. And if you really want to swing for the fences and go for some extra credit, check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, where we, uh, I guess, post stuff. That's where stuff gets posted, right? That's right. That's right. So, uh, from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.